0: an educational podcast dedicated to teaching you all about the world of wine, the different grape varieties, the different regions, and the history and culture of wine. In this episode, we continue our focus on Australia by looking at Victoria. Before we do that, let's look at how Australian wine regions are organised. And Australia, when its exports really began to move up back in the 1990s, It was forced by the EU to come up with geographical indications, because in the EU any food or drink must indicate where it comes from, and so the Australian wine industry was forced if it wanted to continue its exports to Europe, and these were booming, to come up with these uh, geographical indications, and in many ways they were quite clever in how they did that. In Australia the tradition of multi-regional blending is very important, and this It's true for expensive wines as well as inexpensive wines. For example, Penfold's Grange is usually a blend of different regions from within South Australia. And this is something that would never happen in France. Imagine having a wine that came from both Bordeaux and Burgundy, for instance. But it's very important in Australia. And it's especially important for inexpensive wines because it makes creating a balanced wine much easier. So for instance, if you want to make a Chardonnay and you have a a vineyard or a site which is very hot, so you have lots of fruit and body, but then you have another site which is cooler, so you have higher acidity, and then maybe some other sites as well which can contribute different elements to the wine. And in the end, you have a very balanced wine which is very approachable and nothing sticking out. And so that multi-regional blending is extremely important, but that was something that would become very difficult under the EU regulations. So what they came up with was a huge geographical indication called South Australia. And this covers the entirety of all Australia's winemaking regions, with the exception of Western Australia, which is thousands of kilometres away. So it covers the parts of Queensland where wine is made, New South Wales, Victoria, and also the parts of South Australia where wine is made. So a vast uh, region, which is the size of Europe in essence. So absolutely huge, and that allows for that multi-regional blending. And often if you see Southeast Australia on a label, it's probably an inexpensive but perfectly decent wine. So Southeast Australia is a zone, or it's sometimes called a super zone because it covers so much area. And a zone is usually a large area within which are regions. And these zones, as I said, can be quite large. They can also be quite small, and it can kind of get a little bit confusing. So for instance, Barossa is a zone, and within Barossa there are two regions, Barossa Valley and Eden Valley. So if you see Barossa on a label, it means it's a blend of Barossa Valley and Eden Valley, whereas if you see Barossa Valley on the label, it must be 85% of that wine comes from Barossa Valley. So it's quite clever in the fact that Barossa can be on the label even if some of the fruit is not coming from Barossa Valley itself. So that's how Australian wine is organised, with the zones and the regions within the zones. So let's look at Victoria. Back in the 19th century, Victoria produced more wine than any other state in Australia, about half of the country's wine, in fact. But then it was hit by phylloxera, and it took a long time to recover. South Australia took over the position as Australia's wine-producing state, and Victoria was really in the doldrums. And in the 1950s, there were less than 30 wineries in existence in Victoria, so really struggling after the heights of the 19th century. But now it's back on track, and some extremely good wine has been made in Victoria. And also reflecting the changing trends in Australia's wine as they look towards cooler sites to produce more more balanced, more restrained wines as an alternative to the full-bodied, big uh, fruity wines that Australia has been known for. So on the border between Victoria and New South Wales is Rutherglen, and I've discussed the fortified wines of Rutherglen in my series on fortified wines. These are some of the great fortified wines of the world, although um, It is a category that's in decline, as is the case all around the world, but they're still extremely good. So if you want to know more about those wines, listen to that other podcast episode. But because the wines don't sell as much, producers do make other dry table wine, not just fortified wine. And the reds are usually quite big, full-bodied, from Portuguese grape varieties, that's something the producers are experimenting with. And also Durif, which is Petite Serra in California, producing really big, tannic dark wines. The producers here also make surprisingly good white wine, though it doesn't really come from Rutherglen, but from a couple of regions just south of Rutherglen. King Valley, Alpine Valleys, and also Beechworth. And these are a bit cooler because of altitude, and so a whole range of great varieties are grown in these areas. The two that really do well are Riesling, but also Chardonnay really excels here and can be an extremely good just because of that altitude. So directly west of Rutherglen is Central Victoria Zone, which includes several regions including Heathcote, Bendigo, Goulburn Valley and Upper Goulburn, and Strathbogie Ranges. Within Goulburn Valley, which is the oldest region in Victoria, has a continuous history of viticulture, and quite a temperate climate. There is actually another region called Nagambi Lakes, and within Nagambi Lakes is Tabilk, which is a famous winery, which has the oldest Marsan vans in the world planted back in the nineteen twenties. And these wines can be extraordinary. And Tabilk release these wines young, which are very good. They also release them when they are older, ten to fifteen years old, and these are absolutely fantastic wines, really showcasing what Marsan is capable of as it ages. And that makes these wines unique, because although extremely good Marsan-based wines are made in the Northern Rome, these are often very expensive and not released when they are old. And so to get the chance to taste um, old vine Marsan that's got some age in it, that is nutty and waxy and really rich in texture, is very unusual. And the wines are expensive, but certainly not unaffordable. Well worth checking out. Next to Goulburn Valley is Heathcote, and this is an area which received a lot of attention back in the 90s. It was seen as having great potential to produce extremely good wine, particularly from Shiraz. Though it hasn't really taken off as people were hoping for, or as expected, but still still the Shiraz here, which is rich and um, coming from dry farmed vines, so no irrigation, really has that intensity and concentration, and has a voluptuousness to it, which is even richer maybe than other earthy Shirazes made in Australia. Another region of notes which hasn't received as much attention, but I think will be seen on more wine labels, is Strathbogie Ranges. And this is just west of Nagambi Lakes and south of Goldburn Valley. And this again is where elevation becomes all important. And that really does cool things down. And the white wines from Strathbogie Ranges, particularly Riesling, have extremely high acidity. And we think of Australia as being this warm climate where the wines are going to be full bodied and rich, but there is a lot of white wine made in Australia and a lot of Riesling, not just in the famous areas for Riesling, Clare Valley, and Eden Valley, which we'll talk about in the episode on South Australia, but also across Victoria and also in Western Australia. And the Riesling from Strathboga Ranges can be very good and it might even have some residual sugar in it to balance that high acidity. So we can't just think of Australia as having a uniformly hot climate elevation when inland does play an important part, as we've also seen in this episode with King Valley and particularly Alpine valleys. Also important is coastal influence, and that becomes evident when we go down to Melbourne. Melbourne's a great city, on the coast, really beautiful, and a strong influence from the ocean. It does get hot in Melbourne, if you've ever watched the Australian Open for tennis, you'll see the tennis players really struggling in that heat, and it can get higher than 40 degrees. At the same time, it's a bit more varied than that. When I visited Melbourne, it was actually uh, during the Australian Open, and it was raining. So there is a more varied climate to Australia than stereotypes would suggest. And there are five regions which surround Melbourne, all within the Port Phillip zone. And these are regions which are known for their cooler climates and for Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. And these are regions which were really overlooked in Australia, um, partly because Victoria was... In the, sh- in the doldrums, but also because they don't produce the full-bodied rich wines which were so in style during the 80s and 90s and going into the 2000s. But now that there is a fashion for more food-friendly, restrained, balanced wines, these regions have come back into fashion and are extremely important, and really reshape people's perceptions of Australian wine, because they're so unlike the stereotypes of Australia. So these five regions, which surround Melbourne almost like a horseshoe, Yarra Valley, Mornington Peninsula, Geelong, Sunbury and Macedon Ranges and just to kind of emphasize the climate here and how un-Australian it is if you like, it's actually cooler than Bordeaux because you have a mixture of the maritime influences and also altitude as well and these are generally world-class wines and they're not known for Shiraz, more Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. though there is some very good Shiraz made here as well and so it's just going from west to east uh, Geelong is just west of uh, Melbourne, uh, Port Phillip Bay separates Melbourne from Geelong, and this is quite cool with uh, good Shiraz, uh, complex uh, Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, a very small region, uh, mostly small family-owned wineries, and there's only about 30 there. And then going upwards you see Macedon Ranges, and this um, is a region which is not particularly famous, but produces really good Pinot Noir because of altitude. So it's not quite as maritime influenced as the other parts of the Port Phillip Zone, but produces really good wine at higher altitude. And these are wines you might not find too easily, but well worth trying. And South Macedon Ranges is another less known region, uh, Sunbury. But the most, two most famous regions in the Port Phillip Zone are Yarra Valley and Mornington Peninsula. So Yarra Valley is the region that was planted back in the 1960s to Pinot Noir in particular, but just did not catch on because it did not fit in with the general style of Australian wine. And Yarra Valley, it's only 45 kilometres from Melbourne, so it does attract a lot of tourists uh, from the city, which obviously helps with sales, but it has an international reputation as well. And it's very varied topographically, with altitude varying from 50 to 450 metres have the valley floor which is a bit warmer, getting riper, fuller-bodied wines, then if you go up in altitude, it's more cooler, maybe a little bit wetter as well, and it's on these elevated slopes that the really high quality Pinot Noir and Chardonnay is likely to be grown, whereas on the valley floor it's more likely to be Shiraz, but it's still a cooler climate style of Shiraz, again very different from the full-bodied wines of Barossa for instance, and these wines have become more fashionable as consumers look towards cooler climate Shiraz which is arguably more food friendly. Sparkling wine is also made in Yarra Valley. Moats and Chandon invested here back in the 1980s and have their domain Chandon there. And because of that cooler climate, it can be good quality. And Yarra Valley is a region where as producers are really exploring the terroir. The different, uh, different sub-regions of Yarra Valley are being explored about exactly how they express Pinot Noir, Chardonnay and Shiraz in different ways. So an extremely important region in terms of quality and reshaping Australia's reputation internationally. And just south of Melbourne is Mornington Peninsula, which is, as the name suggests, a peninsula which is extremely uh, trendy with Melbourne. City dwellers who go there over the weekend, go yachting, really beautiful, very um, ideal place to spend the weekend. We're also making very good wine, Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. These are really a, a very easy sell if you've got rich people coming from Melbourne every weekend. It's very easy to sell those wines to Melbourne visitors, but it's very windy because of, because it's a peninsula and it's exposed to the ocean. Well, there's lots of different aspects in Mornington Peninsula as well, so it's quite difficult to generalise. It all depends where the vineyard is. And so, again, another region where producers are exploring exactly how the, the local climate influences each vineyard, and the quality monitoring Mornington Peninsula is extremely high as it should be if you've got people willing to spend lots of money money on the wine. And then just to conclude, moving away from Melbourne and going towards South Australia, you have two regions called the Grampians and the Pyrenees. And as these names suggest, the Grampians named after a mountain range in Scotland, Pyrenees, the great mountain range dividing France and Spain, these are high altitude mountainous regions. And the mountain range um, as a whole is called the Great Dividing Range, and then it's split into different wine regions. The Grampians can be up to 335 metres high, and it's at the westernmost edge of the Great Dividing Range, with um, lime soils. And this is where you might find quite a bit of sparkling Shiraz, a wine unique to Australia, a slightly sweet, tannic, sparkling red wine. And the Pyrenees, um, actually a rolling landscape, it's not quite as spectacular as the Pyrenees themselves, And this isn't as cool. And these are going to have uh, big red wines because it's not actually as high in elevation as the Grampians. So that is um, an overview of Victoria. Lots of different wine regions here with lots of different local influences, all depending on the maritime influence, the influence of altitude, maybe a combination of the two, or maybe not that much influence at all, where it gets warmer and the wines are going to be full bodied. So you've really got a range from lighter bodied Pinot Noir and Chardonnay to voluptuous Shiraz from Heathcote to the powerful wines of Rutherglen to the high-altitude Riesling of Strathbogie Ranges and Alpine Valleys for instance. It's a whole gamut of wines made in Victoria which makes it one of the most exciting regions in Australia. Moving away from Australia's mainland to Tasmania which is another region which is becoming of ex- increasing importance and increasing interest. This is an island which was really overlooked uh, as Australia really boomed Tasmania was ignored because it has a cooler climate which didn't fit into the trends for big full-bodied wines so a continuation in some way for those regions which we've just been discussing particularly around Melbourne but Tasmania has always been a source for grapes and the big brands in Australia like Hardy's, sourced a lot of their fruit from Tasmania for that multi-regional blending which I've been which I was talking about at the beginning of the episode. And so, really, used for sparkling wine, and also for adding acidity to wines like made from Chardonnay. So historically, very important. But it's only in the last ten years that people have actually been making wine specifically from Tasmania and exploring Tasmania, and what kind of wines it can produce. Tasmania does have a very diverse climate, and terroir. The wine regions are centered at the north part of the island, around the town of Launceston, and you'll find in Tamar Valley and Piper's River perhaps two of the more famous regions, and then to the south uh, west of the island around Hobart, Coal River is perhaps the best known region. And what Tasmania is really known for is, is Pinot Noir, which has improved greatly, and that's really leading the trend for a Tasmanian wine, going for the cool climate varieties, also Riesling and sparkling wine, and these wines can be extremely good as well. But Tasmania does have warm pockets, uh, particularly in Tamar River and Coal River, and this is where you'll get warmer climate varieties like Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon and Shiraz as well. And even Zinfandel has been grown in Tasmania. So very varied climate. And this is a region which producers are really exploring and really focusing on quality. And certainly a region which has changed a lot from being the, ba- from being the source for blending wines and now becoming the source for wines in their own right. All part of the changing trends in Australian wine. So thank you for listening. This is Matthew, and this has been Matthew's World of Wine